The Daily Tap is live for Monday, January 23rd. We're going to talk about why this is the start of the real Milwaukee Bucks season this week. We're also going to discuss why Marquette has taken it another level in terms of believing in them after their win against Seton Hall. And then lastly, we will have questions from the NFL Divisional Weekend as how it pertains to the Packers. Uh, so we have about five questions there, and that will wrap up today's show. I did think about doing a Chuck's Corner, but I'm like, ah, we got, got a lot going on here as we usually do on a Monday. It's a great time to plug in. Uh, we are on all the socials, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Uh, you can find us there. We're also on Facebook if that matters to you. I don't know how many people are uh, liking things on Facebook these days, but we're there uh, if available. Also, you can make sure to rate and review us on Apple and Spotify uh, and subscribe. If you are new to the show, you found us through those channels that we just mentioned. Uh, yes, we are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever else you get your podcasts. All right, let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks are playing the Detroit Pistons tonight. Not exactly, you know, a juggernaut matchup. I think everyone will be excited for Jokic and Giannis uh, on Wednesday, and then the Pelicans matchup on next Sunday. I think those are kind of the two big matchups from the week for the week for Milwaukee. But the biggest news is the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton are going to be back for this game. They're listed as probable. I understand that Giannis was listed as probable for the game against Cleveland and then he didn't play and it caused a lot of panic. I think if it wasn't a Saturday game, I think I would have done a podcast about how I'm a little worried about it. I think there would have just, it would have just been a different vibe, right? But because it's Saturday, because you had football going on, because you had Marquette playing, it wasn't necessarily as much of a big deal. And truth be told, I was pretty busy on Saturday, so I didn't have a ton of time to be pumping out content for you guys, which I know is a, it's an excuse, but it's also one of those where it's like, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily push the panic button as hard as I might have if it was a random Thursday night, let's just say. So Giannis is back, and if Giannis doesn't play tonight, that changes your boy's tune, as I just recalled. Like, if again, Giannis can't get going with this knee injury, I think we have to have a serious discussion about it. We have to talk in more detail. It's not just, oh yeah, they're playing Detroit. Like, it, it's, it's past that, right? Giannis has missed five straight games. Chris Middleton has missed a bunch. Some were wondering, theorizing, is Giannis waiting until Middleton's coming back? Is Giannis like, I'm not playing another game without Chris Middleton? Which would be an interesting pivot for Giannis Dacumbo. It doesn't feel like something Giannis would do, but maybe Giannis has had it with Chris. And if you talk to different people, it seems like there is some frustration there. Um, so that that part to me is interesting, right? That's a that's an interesting angle to think about is maybe Giannis is just holding out until Chris is ready. And Giannis basically is like, we are not playing this without Chris the rest of the way because I want to see what this team looks like at full strength. And that's what the Bucs could have tonight against the Detroit Pistons. If everyone is back tonight, the Bucs need to look at this stretch of games as an area of an opportunity to win games and get closer to one seed as you head towards the All-Star game. Uh, the Bucs basically have three weeks now before the All-Star break happens. I think it's actually Valentine's Day or the day after Valentine's Day. And then that's the long break for the Milwaukee Bucks. So you basically have 21, 24 days of basketball left. And this is a push that really should be important to the Milwaukee Bucks. 
the rotations and the team itself are going to need some time to cook up. So that's that's part of the problem. And I, I don't think that this is going to be maybe the best stretch of Bucks basketball for that particular reason, right? You've had a long layoff now with Giannis. You've had an even longer layoff with Chris Middleton. Drew Holiday has looked excellent and been an all-star, as we've said before. So you you do have that for you. And maybe that's going to help you know both Giannis and Chris sort of get comfortable in their skin again. Mike Boonholzer, I, I don't know how his rotations change. I think you obviously probably see less Javon Carter. You see less Pat Connaughton. You might see less George Hill. Um, th- those might be the guys, Jordan Nora too. Those might be the dudes that suffer from Chris Middleton coming back. And maybe not right away, though. Maybe because Chris Middleton you know, has had a couple injuries here. Does he come off the bench? We saw that with, with Drew Holiday for a little bit. Maybe there is a Chris Middleton off the bench thing for a couple games at least. Right, maybe the game tonight and the game against Denver, but yeah, I, I think that you are going to see the Bucks in maybe a little bit of a different light, and that the Bucks aren't going to necessarily look at full. Everything's clicking. These are exactly the rotations that we want before the All Star break. And I also think this is an important time for the Bucks to look at rotations, not just from the team on the on the court, but also at the front office level. John Horace needs to see where the deficiencies are, right? Uh, the trade deadline's fastly approaching, and he needs to see where could this team improve. And I think we as fans know that. Like, we as fans have our different opinions. I think some people would say backup point guard. I think somebody would say backup wing. I don't think you would say backup big. I think Serge Ibaka, who we didn't actually talk about that because that happened on Friday. Serge Ibaka wants out, basically is not happy with his role on the Milwaukee Bucks. And I guess to say in short, what the fuck do you expect, Search? Like, you have you have Bobby Portis, you have Brooke Lopez. Like, where the fuck did you think you were getting time? Were you promised time? I have no idea. But Serge Ibaka will likely be traded when he gets traded and who he gets traded for. That is unknown. But so that's a, that's all to say. Like, the Bucks probably don't need a backup big. But I, I do think it's, it's a good thing to know, like, what this team needs and this is why this stretch is very important for Milwaukee as well, because you need to see, okay, where can somebody fill a gap? Is it an Eric Gordon? Is it an Alec Burks? Is it, I, again, I don't think they need a big guy, but PJ Washington, is it someone like that? Like what, what could Milwaukee get and how could that help that team, you know, to get them back to another NBA finals? And that's, that's all that matters, right? That's all that you really, really want from this Bucks team. Like you really want to make sure that you are the best version of yourself once the playoffs start. That is the most important thing for really every team in the NBA. But I, I mean, I would, the Bucks would be at the top of that level because they are one of the best teams. And I, I think if you had to power rank it, you know, with everyone's full strength, when everyone's healthy, it's the Bucks in Boston are, are one and two right now in terms of the, the best teams and the teams that are most equipped for a finals run. I don't trust any of those teams in the West. Like, I, I really don't. Um, I, I How can you trust the Warriors? They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, all their starters. They fall apart against a Nets team that's missing Kevin Durant. I know Kyrie went crazy again. He had 38 points. Like he's make, Kyrie, I think, is actually making a legitimate case to start in the All-Star game, which is wild. Uh, but also, so you had that. The Grizzlies last night were nine and a half point favorites against the Phoenix Suns on the road. The Suns are did get Chris Paul back, but they're missing Cam Johnson. They were missing Landry Shamit. I think Aiton was out with a illness, and they lost. Right? 
Uh, the Nuggets, yeah, didn't have Jokic last night, so the Thunder won that game. I'm going to throw that one out. But what I'm saying is I just I, – the Thunder I, or the Nuggets I just can't trust because of the defensive side of things. We'll talk more th- about Bucks nuggets tomorrow because uh, we're not going to have a Wednesday show, which I should have said at the beginning. We'll, we'll do it at the end. But, yeah, I, I to summarize here, I think the Bucks need to look themselves the part because they are the be- they are one of the best, if not the best team in the NBA. And that's that's the part where I'm like, all right, you need to figure all this out. So you're like, all right, what could what could be fixed? And so that's an important underrated part of the whole, okay, we need to get all of our guys back and ready to go. I still think the expectations should be high for Chris and Giannis, right? I think the Bucs have done enough to get them ready to play in these games, get them ready to roll. And it, it shouldn't be one of those where it's like, all right, we got to give Giannis two or three games to be back to form, to be back to that MVP MVP level. No, I think it should be right away. Like, I think for Chris, maybe maybe there's a little bit of a leeway, right? But I really hope that Chris is starting to cook by that Indiana game on Friday, right? Like, I, I hope that we're still going to see that. Because again, to the point, the earlier point and why this all matters is you want to make that push before the All-Star game and put yourself in a position. You also have a game against Boston right before that All-Star game, I believe in Milwaukee on a Wednesday night, I want to say, or a Tuesday night. And that's a game where you win that and you're split now with Boston. And that, and I think that's a very important game in the schedule. Um, and the schedule itself is not exactly i mean there are tough games right there's there's definitely some difficulty but you have a lot of home games in the next couple weeks that you can't squander you go out west for like a three-game trip which isn't that bad um i actually like those west coast road trips versus the like six game marathons like the bucks are just gone for a week they play who they play they play portland then they go to la both la teams they have a back-to-back in la playing the lakers and the clippers on a thursday friday but they get like three days off or two days off before playing the Lakers, which Lakers underrated. I think the Lakers talk about uh, a quick, you know, side note, uh, gambling wise, like Lakers have just, the lines are weird with the Lakers. They were plus six on Friday night. They almost, no, they won that game outright. And then last night they were also a six point dog to Portland and they won outright. I have no idea what the books are doing with the Lakers, but it's been nice. Um, it's, it's at least one thing's going right, right? Uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah, the Bucks. This is this is a big time. This is big time week. This is all you know where it goes. It sucks that we feel like the season really starts in middle of January. I think everyone would say that is exactly what's wrong with basketball. That is exactly what's the annoying part of the NBA that we basically wasted our time for the first few months of the season. I guarantee you that we're not going to have a lot of seasons like this, right? Where Giannis basically exhausts himself into a knee injury and you have Chris Middleton, you know, battling multiple injuries. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think next year will look different. I think the year after that will look different. But I, I do think the NBA, we are coming to a larger conversation about what the NBA needs to do in terms of resting talent and figuring out their schedule to make it make sense for the players. And I think the NBA doesn't believe that if they shorten the schedule, that all of these guys are going to suddenly play basketball again. And I, I think that's the that's the worry, that's the concern, and it's a it's a major problem, and it's it's only getting worse. And that's something that I really do think the league needs to examine, the league needs to look at, and figure out what 
what can we do to make sure our guys are playing every night, especially on the road? I mean, the Warriors took a ton of slack. Conveniently won the game, which is crazy. They took a lot of slack, more slack than I can remember when they didn't play um, against Cleveland on for last Friday night. And I, I just think that's going to be something that's going to happen more and more where teams are going to get chastised for resting their guys on the road. Because especially, you know, a situation like that where it's Golden State only goes to Cleveland one time a year. Uh, the Bucks, for example, if they rest their guys against the Clippers, uh, which is a back-to-back, they only go to L.A. twice a year. And it's to play the Lakers and the Clippers. And everyone was able to see the Bucks against the Lakers. But against the Clippers, they, they didn't see anybody. So... I, I do think that conversation is brewing. I know there's a CBA negotiation. I think it's next year for the NBA, and I think it's going to be – there's a lot of people that think it's going to be ugly, um, and I think this is the top of the conversation. Now, Adam Silver does talk a lot during the All-Star game, and I'll be curious to hear what Adam Silver thinks he can do to fix it because he kind of fixed taking with the lottery-weighted weighted shit, and I just wonder if this is going to get fixed because – we shouldn't be saying that the season starts in late January. We should be saying the season begun when it did or like Christmas, right? Where everyone's felt themselves out. Everyone knows what they are. And now now the real fun begins. But I'm excited for it. I hope Giannis is back. I hope Chris is back today. And if for some reason they're not, the podcast tomorrow is going to be a little bit different. Before we move on to Marquette, I did want to fire off a quick Golden Kegs uh, for the loss against Cleveland. It was a tough game, um, honestly. The Bucks never really felt like they were in it. Um, they always felt like they were chasing the Cavaliers. Uh, there was no Donovan Mitchell, no Giannis, no Chris, Chris Middleton. Uh, so the Bucks lose 112 to 102. They surrender basically a sweep to, or not a sweep, a split to the Cavs. Uh, both teams won at home. 2-2 uh, series, really hard to get a feel of what this would look like in a playoff matchup because so many different guys have missed. We didn't see either team in full strength. It's kind of like, It'll kind of be like in 20, it was a 2021 against Miami where the Bucks. I think it was also a split, but also every game there was a footnote of like, yeah, this guy missed it, this guy missed it. So we have no idea what this would look like if it becomes a playoff series. Obviously now because it's a split, the Bucks are going to need to have a better Eastern Conference road record, not road record, Eastern Conference record than Cleveland if they want to make sure that they have that advantage. Um, that's, again, something I was a little concerned about, about why they were essentially punting this game when you have, you know, the tiebreaker to worry about. And so I hope it doesn't come down to that. I hope Cleveland and Milwaukee are not tied at the end of the year. But if it does, that could be a major issue and it could find the Bucks as a fifth seed. So Golden Kegs giving him out uh, three kegs by Portis. I thought this was the best game for Bobby Portis in a long time. He had 23 points. He he had uh, five threes in the game. I think that's a season high for him in terms of threes made. Uh, Bobby looked really good. So whatever whatever happened in that you know stretch where Bobby seemed to fix a shot a little bit in the time off the Bucks had. The Bucks hadn't played since Tuesday. Uh, Bobby looked like a renewed guy. And if the Bucks can get that out of Bobby, you know, once every four games, that's going to really pay off dividends. And if Bobby has fixed his shot, that is a massive win for the Bucks. I mean, it's one game. We'll see what happens. It could be an aberration. He could have just been feeling it that night. But the part of the reason why the Bucks didn't get blown out in this game was Bobby Portis. And he was incredible. So he, he deserves some credit. Two kegs. Pat Connaughton, I thought Pat, similarly to Bobby, looked really good. And Pat kind of found his shot. And he's had some struggles in his own right. And that 
was encouraging to see. He was really good, you know, in the fourth quarter trying to keep the Bucks in this game um, and did really well. One tag to Brooke Lopez. Um, not only did Brooke have a bad night from the field, he also gave up 38.7 Mobley. Now, all those aren't, aren't credited to Brooke Lopez, but Evan Mobley having that big of a night with Brooke Lopez at the center position, I think is a ding to his defensive player of the year, you know, kind of nominee. Uh, Evan Mobley went off in this game. Uh, they had no answers for Evan Mobley. Uh, he really played well. And part of that, I think, falls on Brooke Lopez. I do think also that's part of the issue with Bobby Portis, right? Because Bobby, we've talked about, really doesn't play a ton of defense. But I, I do put Brooke Lopez on the onus on him more that he needed to find a way to shut that down, which he did. And that's disappointing. So that's your Golden Kegs. Very quick one. Uh, we'll do another one tomorrow for the game against Detroit. Moving on to the Marquette Golden Eagles. We haven't done a Golden Eagles topic in a little bit, which it's on me. Um, I'll be honest. I, I think sometimes it's a, the scheduling gets in the way because they have a lot of Wednesday games. And obviously on Monday, there's just so much to talk about. But Marquette deserves to be into the conversation of one of the top things people talk about in the state of Wisconsin. Marquette is going to move up to probably a top 15 team. Uh, Marquette currently is eighth in Ken Palm. They have the best overall offense in Ken Palm uh, with the 73rd best defense. So not as, as good defensively. But Marquette absolutely dismantled Seton Hall on the road. And Seton Hall is a tough place to play. It's not an easy place to, place to play. But Marquette absolutely took the Pirates to the woodshed, uh, winning this game by 19 points uh, in really stunning fashion. And Marquette has kind of gone from, all right, this team is good, to holy shit, this team is really good. And at the very end of the Tapping the Keg podcast last Thursday, when I kind of mentioned Marquette was at halftime and everything else, and Mitch, my co-host, was like, yeah, I think Marquette could make a deep run. Like Tyler Kolick, like, isn't that what you want? Don't you want point guards who can take you far? And so for me, when we had done the Bracketology show, I think on Wednesday, and I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting more than a Sweet 16 run for this Marquette team because they are very young. I then like kind of reverted and then the Seton Hall game happens and I'm like, holy shit, we might be a Final Four team, right? Like you have everything that you need. You have great offense. You have Tyler Cole. The only thing that would get in your way is the defense. And Marquette was supposed to be known for defense and it just hasn't really shown up. And the offensive rebounding has been an issue, but Marquette really does believe they're going to win every game. And I, I think that's something that we haven't had in a long time, probably since the last, you know, really successful Buzz Williams year, where every game Marquette goes in and they think they're going to win. Like, I'm not really worried about a February swoon. Like, that, that shit doesn't really concern me. It's been an issue for Marquette in the past. But there isn't a lot of, you know, areas of where a swoon would happen. Like Marquette would have to have some nasty losses for that to occur. And really Marquette could only have two or three losses if they didn't choke down the stretch against Purdue or choke down the stretch against Wisconsin. Like they could have finished the Wisconsin game. They couldn't finish the Purdue game. They couldn't finish the Mississippi State game, although they put themselves in that hole of Mississippi State. Remember, they got down early and they only scored 17 points in that first half. The second half was lovely for Marquette in that game. Made a ton of adjustments, but didn't get enough to close the door on Mississippi State. And then the Xavier game was just a back and forth ball game where it was kind of a last shot situation. The Providence thing was a complete screw job. 
So those are the five losses for Marquette. I could argue that Marquette has, you know, a really good, like one of the best resumes in basketball right now. And they just continue to look like just a top tier team. Oso Iguodara continues to develop. Like me having Oso stock, it is through the roof right now. He had 18 points in the game against Seton Hall. He had also six rebounds, two assists, a couple blocks, a steal, three steals actually. Like so, and he was looking for bodies to dunk on, like looking for guys to to just physically dunk on, and was just excellent in this basketball game. And Dan Hurley called him a pro. He's absolutely right. Like Oso is really good, and I. And I, why I was high on Oso was just the development of big men that we've seen from Shaka Smart in his time at Texas. And, and, and I, I just thought he could do it again with Oso. And he definitely did that. Uh, it was really, really good. Cam Jones continues to push, continues to come on as sort of the lead dog in terms of scoring. Like basically that, that game came down to Cam Jones in the first half, Oso in the second half. Cam finished with 22 points. He had five made threes. Uh, was excellent as well in this basketball game. Chase Ross continues to thrive off the bench. Uh, He caught a body at the end of the game, one of the best dunks I've seen from a Marquette player in some time. And I think Chase Ross is going to be good. I think that's the guy you buy stock in. I feel like I'm John Ross saying like, buy stock now. But seriously, like I, I think Chase Ross is going to be a really good player. And Marquette just has this fuck you mentality that I, I really think has been missing from them for so long. And they just came in to Seton Hall and absolutely overpowered them. And they won every quarter of the game. If you look at Ken Palm, he breaks it down by quarters. They were 18, 18 to 14 in the quarter one. Quarter two, 19 to 15. They had about a, would that require eight point lead heading into that game. And then they, they get another seven point victory in quarter three, 23 to 16, and then 14 to eight in that final quarter four. But by that quarter four, you had nothing to worry about. Marquette had put that game on ice. And that that's just, it, it's so special to watch this team. It's, it's, it's appointment television. You can't really miss Marquette games. Not saying that you would, but if you, like Marquette and the Bucks were playing at the same time, it was a second screen to Marquette. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think you're going Marquette on the first screen because this team inspires belief. And now they have a week off before they, they go to DePaul. Um, DePaul, never an easy opponent to play at, at their gym. Uh, you just saw Xavier lost there. Um, it's a full week off for the Golden Eagles, which is desperately needed, right? They haven't had a full week off, I think, since finals. It's been a while. So you just hope that the layoff doesn't lead to a sleepy start for them. I think that's really your only your only real concern is that, okay, maybe there's going to be you know a little bit of a layoff. But they the last time they had a layoff like this was for finals. Um, where they they had they really only played three games in ten days. Uh, started with North Carolina Central after the Wisconsin game, and they they played Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame by fifteen. Now Notre Dame isn't as good as as we thought that they they might be when we when we had that matchup in in December. And then they had five days off before they played Creighton, and they played they beat Creighton up pretty good as well. So I'm not exactly worried. Uh, for the you know long layoff, but it's exciting, man. It's really, really fucking fun right now with the Golden Eagles, and 
I, I would say if you need a college basketball team, if for some reason you don't have a college basketball team, you're more of an NBA guy, um, you're an NFL guy who's just looking for something to watch during the week, I would say jump on the Marquette bandwagon. All are welcomed. Uh, and if you're a Badger fan where you need a little more excitement in your life, maybe Marquette's for you. I'm kidding. That is a joke. Uh, but yeah, seriously, I, I think Marquette has been truly, truly impressive. And it's led by Yudara and and uh, Cam Jones, not Chase Ross. Not yet. Chase Ross is a couple years. But Jones and Yudara are the guys right now. They are the one to punch, in my opinion. Um, and then I think you just get contributors from guys. Well, Tyler Kolick deserves a mention. I haven't even mentioned Tyler Kolick. He, he didn't have that big of a game. Uh, it's probably one of his worst games, actually. Uh, he had six, 7.6 assists. Uh, Tyler Kolick has one of the best assist to turnover ratios in all of college basketball. He is the floor general. He is the captain. Um, and I, 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 it's bad that I hadn't mentioned Kolick yet. It was more I was recapping the, the Seton Hall game, and that's why. But yes, it's Kolek, it's, it's Igudara, it's Jones. I mean, it's those three guys are really what, what drives it. I think Omax, there are moments for him, but those are the three that I, I really put a ton of stock into and a lot of faith into, into what they can deliver. And Kolek, you know, is that leader. And I, I think he deserves some Big East player of the year credentials. I don't think he's going to get it because I don't think the production is there night in, night out for him. But he deserves it because the work he's done has been tremendous and deserves a ton of credit for what he what he's putting out, you know, every game. So it's a really fun time. Um, I'll enjoy the week off of Marquette, but I definitely would have been remiss to not talk about what the Golden Eagles are doing. Uh, really, really special stuff. So, yes, excited for the future National Marquette Day, uh, which is in two weeks against Butler. You better have a ticket now because I think that place is going to be absolutely on fire uh, for that game, uh, which is Marquette's homecoming for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, it's loud. It's hyphy. It's a day where every you know, alumni pretends that they're a college kid again. It's a drunken mess in the city of Milwaukee. So that's, that is definitely a fun one. Um, and I look forward to being there. Moving on to the NFL. So we had the divisional weekend uh, yesterday. It was, or this weekend, it wasn't that great. Uh, honestly, compared to Super Wildcard Weekend, which was awesome, was, was just a great weekend of football. This was not a good weekend of football, right? There were blowouts in really every game except for Dallas, San Francisco. Dallas, San Francisco, I don't think was boring. I think it was a defensive struggle. I think it was hard hitting. It was physical. It was everything I think the 49ers wanted it to be. But Cincinnati, Buffalo had some moments, but it really became Buffalo sort of going, or Cincinnati going with the Jake the Snake technique and just sucking the life out of the Buffalo Bills defensively. And Lou Amaretto, the fact that he doesn't have a ton of coaching, you know, interviews, head coaching interviews is wild to me. Like, I'm like, is this guy the next Belichick? I don't know. Uh, but seriously, like uh, Cincinnati has been really good um, in proving the haters wrong and definitely the nobody believes in us team. And then on Saturday, Philadelphia absolutely shit pumped the Giants. And I really should have saw that one coming. Like I thought, one of those games is going to be close. Like, I just thought one of them would be close. And a lot of the trends say, like, hey, you know, a team who's a, you know, seven-point favorite or more, maybe one of them loses outright. And I thought the Giants could maybe get the Eagles. And now 
I was someone who was like, I don't know if Jalen Hurts can do it in the playoffs. Well, guess what? That take is out the window, right? I know San Francisco is going to be a different one, and I don't want to be a Jalen Hurts hater, but it looks like it's set up for Philadelphia. It's hard for me to envision Brock Purdy going into Philadelphia. Very, very tough place to play and winning that game. Like that just seems like something that Brock Purdy can't do. I do think Kyle Shanahan has a bit of a coaching advantage over Nick Sirianni. And we'll talk more about those games later this week. But yes, I I looked stupid. Uh, But I couldn't believe how bad the Giants looked. The Giants looked like a step or two away from the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, their rival. Um, So then they're going to have to compete with that. They're going to have to figure out what kind of takes it that level. It all unraveled very quickly for the Giants, and they were never able to sort of get it back. And I think that's the problem with Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones is a lot better than we thought he was, but Daniel Jones is not a guy that I really look at that can bring you back. Like when you have a guy like Rodgers, when you have a guy like... Joe Burrow, Mahomes, any of those dudes. If you get down early, I don't think you really swept because they they have what it takes. They have the composure to sort of get you back. I don't think Daniel Jones has that sort of same, whatever it is, the poise of it all. And then the last last thought, the Chiefs-Jaguars might have been one of the better games, I guess, of the weekend, but the Chiefs were always in control. And that game, you know, was highlighted by the Mahomes injury. And the Chiefs sort of had that one in control. The Jags did enough to try to come back, make sure that they could find a way to sort of keep it close. But it never really felt as close as the scorer, you know, had. So what questions do we have out of this from a Packer perspective? Well, first one, we're going to start with Aaron Rodgers. Because there was some Adam Schefter stuff about Adam Schefter saying like, hey, look, there are some trade conversations. It might benefit both sides. And here we go again with Adam Schefter. So I, I saw a Packers guy say, well, Adam Schefter wouldn't pull this out of nowhere. And which is interesting. And he's not really a big Rogers supporter. And that was interesting to me because two years ago, Adam pulled something directly out of his ass and basically admitted that to Dan Patrick. Um, it's on tape. You can watch it where Adam Schefter basically held a story about Aaron Rodgers until the draft because it would help ESPN's ratings. It would help sort of the day of the draft. And he sat on that story to create sort of chaos, if you will, for the first round of the NFL draft and that NFL draft weekend. It was a, in my opinion, malpractice in terms of journalism. I thought it was not exactly, you know, what Adam Schefter is paid to do. That was entertainment. That wasn't journalism, in my opinion. And it started a whole summer of discontent with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So uh, don't give me that shit that Adam Schefter doesn't pull things out of nowhere because that's absolutely garbage. Now, for his commentary that it could benefit both teams, absolutely, right? If you can figure out how to make the contract work, right? Contract is crazy. It's very intricate. I'm sure the people that are out there, Russ Ball, forgetting the female who also helps out uh, with Russ Ball. I should say woman, not female. Uh, who helps out uh, in terms of the contract. Um, they're, they're going to figure this out, right? They're, if Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded or they think they, they want to trade Aaron Rodgers, they will figure out how to maneuver, massage the contract, to make sure that it's beneficial for not only Rodgers, but also the Packers and maybe the team that is trading him. Yes, it would help Green Bay tremendously because they're able to go right to Jordan Love and start a new era of Packer football. It would help 
Rodgers, who maybe feels like he's being held back by the Packers, maybe feel like the Packers haven't done enough for him, which is complete and utter bullshit. Um, but maybe that Aaron needs that fresh start and needs sort of what Tom Brady had, what you saw from Brett Favre. Like maybe that's what Rodgers needs, and he needs to be the next version of those guys. Russell Wilson also, even though a little bit younger, uh, and not be like Breeze and Roethlisberger, where you go out with the team that that brought you here, basically. Um, and Kurt Warner, I get, would be another example of this, right? Where Werner, Werner had the last sort of moments in the twilight of his career with the Arizona Cardinals. So we'll have to see what continues. I am one where I am sort of putting the brakes on a lot of the Roger stuff, just because I know nothing's going to happen until March, right? We can talk about it. We can we can definitely have discussions, but nothing's going to get solved till March. So why why should we worry too much about what Aaron Rodgers is thinking and what's going on, you know, in the Packer organization? Because I think it's kind of a useless activity at this point. Now, is at some point will it become a meaningful conversation? Absolutely, absolutely, something that we have to have discussions about. But we're not there yet, so it's okay to talk about it. But I don't think anything's getting decided till March. So it's not worth giving these grandiose takes about, oh, where we think Rodgers can go. I saw that my guy Bill Simmons has a prediction about Rodgers. So we'll see what he says there. I would imagine it's the Jets, um, if I had to guess. Um, we'll, we'll guess the podcast topic. Because I saw it in his like uh, Twitter, where he's like, Rodgers prediction. So we'll, I will guess that he thinks he's going to the Jets. Um, it, it's the one that honestly makes the most sense out of all of them. And the Jets have talent that could come back to Green Bay, right? They have off they you know they have a lot of good def- defensive, you know, pieces that could be Packers. And I think that's an intriguing part of it. They also have some disgruntled guys, whether it's Zach Wilson, whether it's Elijah Moore, like I would take Elijah Moore tomorrow. Like if Aaron Rod- if Elijah Moore is in the Aaron Rodgers trade, that's not a bad thing for the Green Bay Packers. I also think you need first round picks and you would need the Jets pick this year and probably next year for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there there is a you know framework out there for a elite quarterback in his twilight of his career to get traded, and that's Matt Stafford. So you can see what Stafford deal was, and that probably should emulate it if you're the Packers and you're trading Aaron Rodgers away. So we'll have to see what happens. Like I said, it, it we are a long time away. From that Aaron Rodgers. And I have other questions from the divisional round that pertain to the teams that we watched. How far away are the Packers? Like, so you think about Philadelphia, you think about San Francisco mostly, not necessarily the Chiefs and Bengals, because they're not in our in our conference. I think the Packers are a touch touch bit away. Like I, I think there is work that's needed to be done. I think you look at Philadelphia and San Francisco and they just look at another level. Uh, I, I had seen a question in one of my group chats about what would have happened if the Packers had played either Dallas or San Francisco in these games. And I don't think they would have got smoked by San Francisco. I really don't. I think the San Francisco defense is good, but I, I'm not you know ready to crown their ass. I know 12 points against that Dallas offense is impressive, but Dallas's offense was sort of fading down the stretch. I think that Tampa Bay game was complete fool's gold. Um, and some people took the cheese and some people didn't. Uh, it really was. And I thought Dallas, or Tampa excuse me, was bad all year. And so I do think the Packers could have beat Dallas again. I think San Francisco, I think it would have been close. I think there's just a few things missing. 
And you look at the team, you know, they did not play San Francisco this year. They did play Philly. They scored 33 on that Philadelphia defense. Like, that can't be taken away from the Green Bay Packers. So they scored 33 on that defense. Did they give up 40 on offense? Yeah, or on their defense? Yeah. Um, but still, Green Bay was in a shootout with Philly. They they hung in there offensively. They did not hang in there defensively. So what do you have to do to stop that Philadelphia running attack? They won't see Philly next year. They won't see San Francisco next year. They won't see Dallas next year. So none of these teams, the Giants are the only playoff team, I think, that Green Bay sees. No, they, they see the AFC, NFC South. So they see Tampa. But Tampa's going to look different, right? Tampa's going to look completely different next year and obviously Minnesota too. But like, I, so I, I really, it's an interesting thing where it's like, yeah, Green Bay might be far away, but they're not going to play any of these teams next year. So we won't even know the barometer because that's how the schedule works because you hope that you get new teams in parity and the teams who are, you know, playoff teams play against each other next year and that adds to the toughness. Like San Francisco is going to have a much tougher schedule next year. Philadelphia is going to have a much tougher schedule. The Giants, the Vikings, the Jaguars on the other side of that coin. Like they're, they're going to be, you know, teams that are going to be tested more in the regular season. And a team like the Packers are going to get the advantage of playing a third place schedule. And that's going to, that should help the Packers next year, whether it's Love, whether it's Rodgers, you know, really succeed. And so I don't, I don't worry too much about being that far away from the 49ers or the Eagles. I don't think we're looking at a dynasty from the Eagles. I think the Eagles are, you know, selling out with Jalen Hurts on a rookie deal. I think they're doing exactly what we've seen time and time again in the NFL in the last you know, five to 10 years. And that's exactly what the Eagles are doing here. Um, I think from the Niners perspective, I had a lot of questions about Brock Purdy in this game after the Dallas game. Like I, I think we all saw why Brock Purdy was a seventh round pick. Um, I, I still think he's good, but I don't think he's great. I don't know if I'm ready to trade Trey Lance next year. Yeah. I'll move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure. But I don't think the Niners are are suddenly this juggernaut. What happens when D'Amico Ryans gets a coaching job? Because I do think someone should hire D'Amico Ryans. That would obviously be a major loss to the Packers if D'Amico Ryans stays. Um, but will the Niners just look like the same defense? Like, will it, will it not miss a beat? It didn't from Salah to Ryans, but who is that next guy up for the Niners? I don't know if that exists. We'll have to see. But yeah, I'm not ready to be like, oh yeah, Green Bay is so far away. I saw some of that. I don't necessarily agree. I think Green Bay has a young roster. I think they still have work to do, you know, in terms of their offensive side of the football and getting a little bit younger there and making sure that there's a mix of veteran and young talent and maybe signing a few guys, right? And I, I think Green Bay will, you know, address their needs. And if they do, they'll get them ready for them another Super Bowl run. Other questions. Are the Bills the new Packers? Yes. Um, this is what what's happening with the Bills right now, and the the commentary about the Bills will would have been what happened if Aaron Rodgers did not win a Super Bowl in year three. Aaron Rodgers, remember, wins in 2010, and that got a lot of haters off his back. All of a sudden, Rodgers is crowned at, crowned as the next sort of great quarterback, and because Josh Allen bows out again into the divisional round. I think you're going to have a lot of haters. You're going to have a lot of negative attention towards Buffalo. And people are going to act like you can't do it in the postseason. That you're just a regular season team. And a lot of the stuff that you would hear about the Green Bay Packers, you'll hear about the Buffalo Bills. And Josh, Josh Allen will have a ton of pressure on him next season. Like a ton. 
Like it was already immense. It's going to be even more more massive. And there's going to be some Peyton Manning stuff where it's like, oh, is he the next Peyton Manning? Where it just looks good in the regular season. And then when the playoffs happen, he can't deliver. Uh, Buffalo offensively looked just they, – they could not figure out what Cincinnati wanted to do. And you just go back to that first game when you had the tragedy with DeMar Hamlin. And you wonder if that game gets played out in full, right? If the Hamlin thing doesn't happen – does Buffalo does Buffalo play differently in this game? Do they have because they have a full you know full book on what Cincinnati was trying to do against them? Does Buffalo figure it out? Does Buffalo do things a little bit differently? This game might have actually been played in Cincinnati, uh, conveniently enough, and Cincinnati used that as motivation. And I know like they had to sell tickets early for the neutral site game, but Buffalo or Cincinnati used that as a motivator, right? They are they feel like they are the most disrespected team in the NFL. And it's hard to think of a team that looks better right now than that Cincinnati team. And so maybe the Bills just ran into a buzzsaw. But we've we had that conversation with the Packers a lot, right? When the Packers would lose a playoff game, be like, well, maybe they just ran, they weren't good enough as the last team they played. And they had too many injuries, they had this, and we kept making excuses for them. And you're starting to kind of see that a little bit with Buffalo. And so I do think Buffalo is the new Green Bay Packers. And I do think that Josh Allen is going to need a, a title sooner rather than later, or it's going to level up from their new Packers to their new Indianapolis Colts. So we'll have to see what what happens with Buffalo. But yeah, another disappointing end for the Bills. And things are going to have to be fixed. I also don't know who would be hiring Ken Dorsey as their as their head coach. I realize Brian Dable, you know, did well after being in Buffalo, but I don't know if you can be like one to one with Ken Dorsey. I'd be a little hesitant on that after only scoring ten points at home in what game, what a game that should have worked to your advantage. Did this did Sunday make you miss Mike McCarthy? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think we that was a Mike McCarthy masterclass. We saw exactly why Packer fans just raged against Mike McCarthy in the postseason. There were so many things wrong with what Mike McCarthy did. The punt um, when the Dallas, it was like you were on your 50, you're down, I think you were down four, right? It was 12, it was 16 to 12 at that point, And you could have, you know, went for it there and tried to push, push, push. And they didn't, they settled for field position. The Niners come down, kick a field goal. Like that was a huge moment in the game. And I don't think it was all on Mike McCarthy. I think Dak Prescott is an average quarterback. I think there are going to be real conversations about the Cowboys and maybe do you draft a quarterback next year or do you look ahead to 2024, which is a excellent quarterback draft. And maybe Dak has one more year to deliver because I just don't know if Dak's anything better than a divisional quarterback. There was a joke that why Dak and Amari Cooper had issues was because Amari called them the Black Kirk Cousins. And I'm kind of like spot the lot right? Like it's, it's true. Like what's the difference between him and Kirk Cousins? There isn't much, right? You're, I'm starting to wonder, is that Dak ceiling and can Dak move past that? I, I don't know. Um, it's a really interesting question because he just has a couple plays that are just really stupid. And they, we saw it again. That's the Cousins thing where Cousins will be, look good for a few, few snaps. And then he does something really fucking dumb and that's that's sort of same thing, man. And Mike McCarthy deserves some of the blame, but I think it's more on Dak. Um, you know, they got down to the red zone. But Dak had that interception in the red zone that was brutal. Um, and that's it. That was the that was the game right there, right? If Dallas scores, it's nineteen nineteen. We're heading to overtime, and who knows? Brett Martin makes the kick, but 
doesn't matter because they only scored 12 points. And so it does fall a little bit on that. I don't think... Uh, it'll be interesting, too, if Dan Quinn gets a coaching job. I think he should. Uh, I actually I think Dan Quinn, uh, they did a great job against Purdy. Um, and I think Dan and Chris McCaffrey, I know he was a little hurt. But, yeah, I, I think Dan Quinn, I, I don't think anything should stop a team from hiring Dan Quinn after this one, like the opposite of Ken Dorsey. Is there anything we can learn from Philadelphia or San Francisco if you're a Packer fan? Uh, young quarterbacks help, right? They help roster construction because you're able to, you know, do things with your cap and you're able to maneuver and sign guys. I think that's, that's number one. I think figuring out a way to keep running the football and having the blend of athletic quarterback with the ability to run the football works. I think a lot of play action helps. Um, I think defensively, you got to have good linebackers and safeties. Um, you saw it with the Niners, right? Fred Warner is incredible. Fred Warner is one of one. You're not really going to find a Fred Warner. The fact that Fred Warner was running stride for stride with CD Lamb was so fucking impressive. Like, that was one of my favorite plays of the game. It was just an incompletion. But it, like Fred Warner was running with CD Lamb like a cornerback. It was unbelievable. And uh, Tua, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name. The Samoan, that's Troy Palomalu 2.0. Um, Tufanga or whatever. I think it's Tufanga. I think that's how you pronounce it. Well, you guys can fact check me on that. Like, where the fuck was Goody on that one? That that one drives me crazy. That was a second round pick. I believe the Packers could have drafted him. Um, and they didn't. And that is exactly the type of player the Packers need, right? They've they struggled at safety so much this year. And if you would have got that guy or Javon Holland, that's another one that drives me nuts. I think Javon Holland was drafted before the Packers. That's here nor there. Like they really do need that talented safety who's just a motherfucker. They don't have that right now. And that's the, to me, that's the biggest glaring spot for Green Bay. And they really need need to focus on safety. And we'll talk a lot about the draft as we get closer. But I, I, I look at those type of players and I'm like, you need better linebackers and you need better safeties. Like they, they need to add more quickness. I think Quay Walker is going to be that guy for them. I really do. I, I know he you know had some moments of dumbassery, if you will, um, but I do think Way will be that dude, and I, he really did come on at the end of the year. Campbell, I have questions about if he is fast enough to to compete, but I will also acknowledge the fact that Green Bay was much better when Campbell was out there in the final four weeks of the season, and Campbell might be one of the reasons why Joe Barry keeps his job. Uh, so we'll have to see. Um, you can always learn as a fan from these games and it was like I said a not not a great weekend but still one where you had a bunch of takeaways for the Green Bay Packers and we'll see if next week produces much of the same all right that does it for today's show we will be back tomorrow like I said kind of in the Bucks segment we're gonna have a podcast tomorrow uh, we've been trying to do this four day a week thing so I'll podcast tomorrow we'll have off on Wednesday we'll be back Thursday Friday I'm unsure when Mitch and I are going to tape because we have that Bucks Nuggets game. Uh, Mitch is a uh, goes to bed a little earlier than I do. Um, if I had my way, him and I would be taping Bucks uh, taping after Bucks Nuggets, uh, but that's not that's not going to occur. Um, so we'll we'll figure that out, um, him and I, and let you guys know uh, when we are taping because I know that's important to you. But yeah, no pod Wednesday, but yeah, pod tomorrow. And then pod Thursday, pod Friday, and then that'll be this week's uh, shows. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.